Thank you for tuning into the UNI podcast. This week, we have Janelle, a registered nurse who received her master's degree in public health from the University of Toledo and her bachelor's in nursing from Capital University. She's currently certified in HIV, STI, counseling, and testing. If you're interested in finding accurate content to help you master your reproductive and sexual health, you should check out her blog, The Nurse's Note. Here's our conversation with Janelle. The UNI podcast promotes love, happiness, and abundance. Through storytelling and sisterhood, they encourage self-love, a balanced worth ethic, and a healthy life. This is Ozzy and Caro, and thank you so much for listening to the UNI podcast. Hi, I'd like to welcome you to the UNI podcast. My name is Karenique. And my name is Ozzy. And the reason we wanted to bring you onto the podcast was because, well, I found you after your live with B. Welsis, and mm-hmm. you just was dropping so many gems in that interview or that conversation. And I was like, why didn't I know this? I feel as if this should be like common knowledge. Wait, what's happening? But I just feel as if you have a lot of knowledge within the area of like vaginal health. And I would love for this knowledge to be shared with our listeners. Thank you so much for the invitation. I love talking about vaginas, so um, thank you for having me. And I think that it's an, it's an underrated topic, if you would say, especially when it comes to health. People always forget that your vagina is health too. It's part of your body. You need to take care of it as well. Right. I I think like vaginal health and sexual health is part of your overall health so and it's an it's an area that we we actually don't really talk about a a lot out loud Um, people may be having issues but we don't talk about it out out loud and i think um it is my duty and i feel like it's my calling to just kind of normalize that conversation stemming from that tell us more about your story and what has led you to for as you said for your passion to be sexual health and vagina health or vaginal health as you would say yeah, I never in my wildest imaginations did I think I would be the one talking about like vaginal health. That is so not me. Um, I it's actually nursing is my second career. I started my career in public health, and I was working in Ohio and I worked for the state health department for a number of years. And I did a lot of education, like patient education, talking about various topics and helping to devise policies. And although I loved doing that, I just miss it, miss talking with people like on a day-to-day level just because when you work in public health a lot of the things take a long time to come to fruition to see your work come to fruition so I decided and you know my husband teased me all the time like he's like you're always in school so I decided to go back to school for nursing I'm like I'll just try let's see how this goes and so you know at that time um, there weren't a lot of programs that were like the accelerated nursing programs so I just went to one of the local community colleges got my um associate's degree in nursing and started working at one of the hospitals. So actually my very first nursing job was in HIV outreach. So I did a lot of testing and in the community. And then I transitioned into a position where I was working with young adults and it was a teen clinic, which is like a regular clinic where people will come in for like everyday care. But we had a lot of patients come in, a lot of young female patients come in for like birth control and sexual health and STI testing. 
And so um, it was my response. They would come in with a lot of preconceived notions. And so I had to know my stuff to be able to correct what they were saying and also to give them the right information to get them on the right track in terms of their sexual and sexual health. So that's kind of where I started and I kind of grew from there and I found it was an area that was, as I said, like not really talked about a lot. And then also an area that we needed more representation of people that of color because, you know, I see a lot of people talking about it, especially like with social media now when it's growing, but I don't think it's always an area that we women of color are well represented. So that's kind of where I am with that. What about like right now? How would you describe this current season of your life? 2020 has definitely been has been an interesting year. Um, I would say that it's a season of growth for me. I've had a lot of surprisingly, I've had a lot of opportunities to talk more about, you know, vaginal health and sexual health on a various different platforms. I'm I don't know why I'm surprised, but people are very receptive to the information that I'm presenting. And I guess it's because it's, you know, well needed and we don't talk about it enough. Um, and so it's something that I continue to talk about. It's also a season of um, growth for me in terms of like learning more and just perfecting a craft. I think we can always learn more and become better educated to provide that information to our patients. You, you talk a lot about how this certain topic and discussion is now moving on to social media. So I want to know a bit more about what motivated you to start Nurse Note and Coochie Convos and especially when looking at, you know, people of color, black women, why do you think it's taking so long for us to finally be represented? So I decided to start Coochie Convos um, and the Nurse Note. So the Nurse Note is my blog, and I just, because I needed, I for me, writing is the easiest way to present information. It kind of comes to me naturally. So I figured, like, let me just start a blog and start type uh, talking about this stuff so that people have the information. And it stems from my work working, I worked with a lot of inner city um, young adults who didn't have this information. They, they didn't have um, people in their lives who they could talk about with these things. And so when I was working in these teen clinics, it was all black females. We were all like black physicians, black medical assistants, black doctors. Um, and I think the girls that came there just felt really comfortable having other women that looked like them to talk about these things. So I'm like, well, if these young ladies don't know um, are misinformed about this information. How many other people don't know about these things who may be adults? So I just started writing about it. And from there, it stemmed to people asking me to talk about stuff, especially on like different social media platforms. So that's where kind of coochie combos just kind of came up. And it could be anything from basic, you know, hygiene to birth controls to STI testing. So just keeping the conversation going just because the platforms are now available and people are looking for this information. Um, I think one of the reasons why black women don't talk about it, um, it stems maybe from, I know for myself, you know, I come from a Jamaican household, so we didn't really talk about sex and sexuality a lot. Um, my, my mom and my, my mom mostly gave me the basics about sexual health and reproductive health, but it wasn't a topic that was like mainstream and talked about all the time. So um, families may discuss it, but they may not have all the, um, women may not have all the information they need to make like an informed decision about their body and their, their sexual health. Oh my gosh, you're Jamaican, I'm Bahamian. <laughs> So you know what I'm yes. talking about. Ohio and both of us ended up in Ohio <laughs> at some point. That's great. <laughs> yeah. I was born in oh, Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> I can try feel included. Canton, Ohio to be exact. Oh. Canton. Right right up the road. I lived in Columbus, Ohio for a lot of years. So O H. 
<laughs> I owe. Okay, but I honestly I completely understand what you're where you're coming from because me being a Bahamian, I do not feel as if I've ever gotten the sex talk. The only talk I've ever gotten was don't have sex, and that's <laughs> pretty much. And don't come home with yes, the baby. Right? That so. is the only conversation I've ever had. So <laughs> most of my knowledge stemmed from sexual sex ed classes. Um, in middle school, and I don't even think I took a sex ed class in high school. So just middle school sex ed knowledge. Now that I think it wasn't part of no, our it wasn't a part of our curriculum I don't why in it wasn't. high school. That's crazy. Yeah, that's cr- it, 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 it is. That's crazy. crazy. It is completely crazy, and you know, a lot of states here that's still like the norm. I'm I was very so I was born and raised in Canada, and I was fortunate because we sex ed started at like. I think like the fourth grade. So I was fortunate to have these classes to go through till high school and just on top of, you know, the little my mom taught me was to get this education through school because it was just part of the curriculum. But, you know, it's not the part of the curriculum for everyone everywhere here in the U.S. and some other countries. So um, people are finding information online and through their friends, which may not be the most accurate information. Yeah, especially... Especially if you come from a religious household. Yeah. I I was born in America, but I grew up in Nigeria. So you were not even expected to be delving into that realm of life. Like it's just, in fact, you're not even supposed to know that you can talk about it. You're not supposed to. So I really had to, I feel like I learned a lot of what I know now from social media, Mm -hmm. Twitter, especially and hearing people's experiences and then reading the comments to see what people say. So it's crazy. It's crazy the change but also the different experiences how was your experience becoming a nurse and what did you learn from that oh my goodness so my husband teases me all the time he's like your degrees have degrees so um becoming a nurse it was hard it was very very hard so like I mentioned before nursing was my second career um they didn't have a lot of they didn't have any accelerated programs when I was going through nursing school. So I started did it the old fashioned way. Like I got my associate's degree in nursing. And I will say out of all the degrees I received, that was the hardest. It was tough. I was working full time. I was going to school full time. You know, I didn't have that clinical um, advantage in that background like some of my counterparts. So it's learning all this information learning to digest all the information that's been given to you and figure out what's like easiest and applying it when you're in clinicals. Um, it was tough, but I made it. And um, what I've learned from it, like I, what I really love about nursing, especially I'm, I feel like we're in an era where you can continue to keep on growing and you can kind of create your own path. Like I know so many nurses who still work at the bedside with patients and they've kind of parlayed that into entrepreneurships or they're nurse um, influencers or nurse writers. So I think that Right now, we're in a season where nursing can become whatever you kind of want it to be. And I absolutely love that. So you said that it was your second career. So what were you doing before and what made you decide to switch into nursing? Yeah, so I worked in public health. Like I I always had a a health background. So my first degree when I lived in Canada was in kinesiology. Um, And then I went on for my master's in public health. So I worked at the state health department in Ohio for eight years. I worked in like... Um, maternal and child health. I worked in heart disease and stroke prevention. And I was very fortunate because I worked with people who were in the industry for a lot of years. So they imparted a lot of you know, knowledge and skills um, that helped shape my career. I liked what I did, but you know, working in an office every day for like 30 years was just, it, I, I couldn't do it. So 
I figured I was gonna I was gonna go back to school and I was gonna become a nurse so that I could provide education specifically to patients. So when I went back to nursing school, I knew that I didn't really necessarily want to work in in a hospital unit. I was wanted to do public health nursing. So creating change in the community that needed it the most was kind of my goal. Especially when it comes to the nurse note and coochie convos, what or how do you hope to touch on next when it comes to coochie combos? Is there any specific topic that you or you want to focus on? So I I feel like um, one of the big topics that keeps coming up is um, fibroids is a really big, especially in you know the black community. So I feel like that may be another area that I may talk about a little bit more. Um, and using like um, reusable environmental products, so like menstrual cups and menstrual discs, there are black women who are hesitant in using them. So I'd like to use my platform to just kind of talk about them, talk about like the realities of how it works, what to expect, um, just so that it, it's another option for them in terms of uh, menstrual care. It's interesting that you say that because that was one of the things that kind of sparked delight in me when you were on um, when you were talking on the IG live. I remember you talked about Diva Cups and then you said um, like you used a I can't remember. I don't. I'm not sure, but I feel as if you said like you can use lube to kind of help it slide in easier. But mm-hmm. when that was happening, I was like, "What? That's what you you can use lube for that? I thought lube was just for sex. Like, what's going on?" So it's just like there's so many like different avenues of things that I was just completely closed off to, and I did not know. Right, and I think um, you know most people are moving towards like a more natural and holistic. Um, type of lifestyle and I think menstrual cups can fit into there. It may not be for everything, everyone, but I think it's just presenting the information, presenting like the reality of like what is the ick factor really like can give people the information so that they can make an informed decision about about using them or about any of the um, reusable environmental friendly menstrual products. So I just like to present the information so that people can make an informed decision before you know they're totally closed off to any of the other options. With that, because I was completely closed off to a lot of things. What is what are some topics you feel as if people aren't talking about enough? I would say, you know, reusable menstrual products like we just mentioned. Um, I would also t- think just like vaginal health in general. I think there's a lot of mixed messaging when it comes to that in terms of how to maintain vaginal health. Um, so I think there should be more discussion about that. STIs, of course, I'm always going to talk about STIs. And even though, you know, we're living in pandemic era and a lot of the information we talk about is about the pandemic, you know, sexually transmitted infections are still real. They're still out there. So just being informed about them and how to keep yourself safe is another area of, of discussion. Talking a bit more about vaginal health. When and where do you think it's best to learn about vaginal health and sexual health, like in someone's life? I think that has to be an ongoing discussion. I think, and I've made it my duty since I wasn't raised in that kind of household, to start the discussions early. I have a six-year-old, so, you know, I'm trying to normalize just using the actual word vagina in the household. I think my husband cringes sometimes. Um, So just talking about it when they're young to get them used to, you know, using the correct anatomical names, get used to saying the word, get used to just it being part of a normal conversation. 
and answering the questions as honestly as I can. You know, she's still six, so the, conver the conversations and the questions are gonna be very superficial, but to keep that conversation going, ongoing, so that like when she becomes older, you know, we've already talked about some of these stuff, she's comfortable coming to me so that we can continue the discussion. So it's, it's a lifelong discussion that I think should begin when kids are pretty young, like three or four, and then continue throughout the li your lifetime. Yeah, I can't lie. Even when I hear vagina, I still get uncomfortable. But I guess <laughs> yeah. it's a journey. When I'm I on say to. it, my like my face like crunches up and like vagina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my husband. He's just. I mean, there was a point in time my daughter she was sitting down. I don't, we were talking about vaginas, and she wanted to know like anatomically where things were. So like, I pulled out the mirror, and I'm like, well, this is this, and this is this. My husband is just like completely looking at us, like, what in the world is going on in here? But you know. I was happy to do it because I never had that, and I think that she needs to know these things. So, um, yeah, it's 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 an ongoing. Up I'm not always comfortable, you know, talking about certain things with her, but it's we just keep on trudging along. With me scrunching my face right now, um, well, trying not to scrunch <laughs> my face right now. How can we take care of our vaginas? So I'm, <laughs> I'm always um, think less is more. So. You have to keep your routine very simple. If you're using products that work for you, you can, t can continue using them. So the outside of you know, your lower body is called your vulva. So keeping your vulva clean, mild soap, water, rinse. Your vagina itself is the, in the internal structure. You don't need to do anything. So you don't need to put anything up there. I, I don't believe in douching that throws off your vaginal pH and can lead to issues with um, bacterial vaginosis and other infections. But just making sure you're washing the outside daily, mild soap, water, um, and wearing clean underwear, cotton preferably, um, so that you know you give that area the opportunity to breathe. If you think you have an infection, you always should you know follow up with your healthcare provider. Make sure that you are getting the right diagnosis so that you can get the right treatment for whatever infection you may have. Are there any products you would recommend for, I don't know, women in general? I would say people with vaginas, but like women, I guess, who are like curious as to like what they can do, who have like not previously actually done things in that realm. Yeah, I, I've been reading a lot of books and, and you know, Every vagina is different, so what works for one person may not. I'm always one to advocate for something mild, so like a Castile soap, um, the Bronner Brothers Castile soap, or the um, Dove soaps, um, and water. Like when I say keep it simple, you just keep it simple. There are people who use, you know, some of the fancier um, washes. I don't use them personally because I know I'm sensitive down there and that's gonna throw off my vaginal pH and it's just infections and BV. Um, but if that works for you, you can continue to, to use that. But I always advocate find a product that's mild or that works for you where you have no issues and can, you can continue using that. Yeah, on the topic of fancy washes, I use Honey Pot, which is a black owned mm. uh, business. And I think I use a sensitive one just to make sure that it's on the barest of I don't even know minerals, chemicals. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. I do use Honeypot. I do have that. That is in my collection of things. Like I will just go and through and use different products. But Honeypot is a is a good one because it's a lot of um, natural products in there. And then, and I do use a sensitive one. Yeah. Yeah, I like it a lot. It's been it's been doing well for me. I'm I'm happy with with the with the product. But on the topic of vagi um, vaginal health. 
There's also, you know, the topic of cervical cancer and pap smears. And I noticed from your page that you're actually supposed to get your pap smear, your first one at the age of 21. Yes, that is correct. So um, age of 21 is when you're supposed to start an actual pap smear. Now, if you are younger, like we had a lot of teen girls come in with, you know, different vaginal problems, we would do a pelvic exam, whereas, you know, the doctor is going in, they're inserting the speculum, they're looking around, they're swabbing, but they're not swabbing for cervical cancer cells. But at the age of 20, and the research says the reason why you don't do it before the age of 21 is because um, if there are abnormal cells, they usually like figure themselves out and everything becomes normal. So it's just, it's more evasive and it's more it's more problems than it's worth, essentially. So at the age of 21, regardless of sexual activity, meaning if you've had sex or not, you're supposed to have um, a pap smear. And the recommendation is to get um, a pap smear every three years if you know your pap smears are normal, meaning there's no abnormal cells found. If your pap smears are abnormal, you know, um, chances are your doctor will call you back in to do another one, and they may repeat it a couple um, more times um, yearly after that. And then when you get to the age of, I believe it's 30, you have the option of become, getting co-testing is what they call it. So it's a pap smear and then an HPV test. And that's usually like about every five years that you would do that. And with that, what are overall, when it comes to vaginal health and sexual health, what are your top three facts that every woman should know about their body? Um, vaginas have their own pH. So you don't want to do a lot to mess up your pH and meaning, you know, you don't want to insert a lot of different things to throw off your pH because when you do that, um, you get infections. So your, your smell might be off. You might have more discharge. You might itch more. So um, be careful what you use inside your vagina. Every body is different. So what your vagina or your vulva looks like on the outside is not what your friends or your girlfriends may look like, and that's okay. Um, and I think it's p women should know that you know products that work for your sister or your best friend may not necessarily work for you, and that's okay as well. Like you find the things that will work for you, and you continue to do those. Oh, and the other, my other um, thing I would say, like you have to get yourself a good. Um, OBGYN or nurse sexual health professional, whether it's OBGYN or a nurse practitioner or a PA who does sexual health, find you a good um, person in the medical field who you can talk to about these discussions and have ongoing discussions with to make sure that you're in optimal sexual health. Yeah, I have. I don't have an OBGYN, and I don't. I, I don't think I've ever been to one at my ripe age. Yeah, I. Which I don't think it's very good. I'm about to be 21, and I was like, wait, what? I'm supposed to do what at 21? <laughs> yes. And so I know like, there are some like primary care doctors that will still do it in office, um, but then they might be like, okay, we'll do the first one here, but I'm going to strongly encourage you to find you know, some sexual health professional to continue them. But you know, if you guys are rolling around to the age of 21, it's almost that time for that pap. So you got to find somebody who and you're comfortable having a discussion with who's going to listen to all of your sexual and vaginal concerns, menstrual health concerns, going to take you seriously, and that you guys can sit down and sit down together and come up with a plan that's for your sexual health and your reproductive health life term, long term. When it comes to periods, um, 
Okay, well, my first question is, is there a general term for pads, uh, tampons, diva cups? Like, is there a general word for those? Like, I, we've been Googling and we just kind of came up <laughs> to, like, sanitary items. Yeah, sanitary products or menstrual products, I think is what they call them. You know, whatever the flavor. There we go. We're going to go with menstrual products. There we go. Men- menstrual products. <laughs> We're like, we don't know. Like, how do we call, what do we call these? But... Um, when it comes to periods, uh, which method of like which menstrual products are best for vaginal health or does it not or does the atom not matter? It's complicated. So it doesn't matter as long as you're using them correctly. There's certain caveats. I'll say like it's probably best not to use anything that's scented because usually when you add something that's scented, like the scented pads or scented tampons, it's so not necessary and it can cause more more issues than it's worth. So that can cause like bacterial vaginosis or yeast infections. Um, use them as directed. Make sure that you're changing them frequently, um, as frequently as, you know, your your needs are. So like if you're a person that bleeds, you know, in four hours, make sure you change it. Um, with the menstrual cups or menstrual discs, you can kind of go a little bit longer with those up to eight to 12 hours, depending on your flow. So it's, it's using menstrual products. It's kind of a personalized decision there. I don't think there's anything one more right than the other. I think that, um, it's what, what's best suits your lifestyle and where you're at in life and what your everyday looks like. But I always recommend, you know, changing them, making sure if you're using, even with like the menstrual cups and menstrual discs, the reusable ones, making sure that, they, you know, you're sterilizing them so that you're not introducing new bacterias or viruses into your system and then um, staying away from anything that's scented because that can cause a lot of other issues. Yeah, I love pads and I feel like I will always stick to pads. But I'll never forget the first time I got my period. I was, I think, 11 and I was in my boarding school back in Nigeria and I woke up and I was traumatized. <laughs> I was, cause my mom wasn't there, you know, I was in boarding yeah. school, so I was by myself. And well, I was with my, I was with my, the girls around me, but it was definitely a interesting experience for these 11 year olds to figure out like what was happening. What What's happening and what do I do? Right. Yeah. It's, 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 I, I mean, I remember my first time I was at school. I was, I think I was like 13 maybe I was like seventh eighth grade so it was kind of on the late spectrum and I was went to the bathroom like oh what is this and you know I didn't tell my mom for she had no idea like I didn't tell her for months and she one day she's like wait you get when did you get your period I'm like I don't know four months ago and so um I don't want that to be like a repeat for my daughter like I think I was I don't know if I was embarrassed or ashamed so that's why I'm always big on like making it a regular discussion in my home and making it a regular discussion amongst my friends and, you know, social circles so that we kind of take the stigma out of menstrual, menstruating in general, so. That's really interesting. My story, I feel as if I already knew what a period was when I got mine. I was 11 too, and I was babysitting and I went to the bathroom and I was like, oh, Okay. I called my mom is like, is this it? Is this what this is? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I'm gonna get you a pad. <laughs> and that's kind of just how it started. I feel like right. I knew what it was. I just wasn't prepared. Like, right. I was, I was no, just you, really you, annoyed. You to bed. I was so annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping it didn't come until I was 18. I was like, I want to swim whenever I oh, want to swim. Oh, boy. <laughs> 
Oh boy, yeah, it's 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 a very interesting experience, especially as your first one, and you know you're already dealing with a whole bunch of stuff. If you're in like middle school, you're like, oh, let's add this on as well. So, um, I just keep I encourage like because I get a lot of questions from like moms and uh, my friends, like how do you talk to your daughters? I'm like, you just you're you can be as open and as honest as you can possibly be, and for things that you may not know or things you feel uncomfortable about talking about, like that's where you can totally tap into a health professional who talks about this every day because they won't mind talking to your child about this. And, you know, they're very grateful for that information. Around that whole topic of just communication and just, I guess, community in general, what can society and our community do to remove this stigma about talking about vaginas, periods, sexual health, and so much more? I think we have to stop being, I don't know if it's like embarrassed or ashamed about sexual health and our vaginas and start, just start talking, like normalizing the conversation. Like there should be no reason that, you know, a group of women can sit down together, friends, and just talk about like their periods or what they're going through or BV. Um, and I think social media is making it a little bit easier because there are so many wonderful people talking about these things and providing education and doing, you know, podcasts and um, IG lives and videos talking about it. So I think it's kind of turning the corner and I think it's empowering women or people with vaginas to talk about these things, which is, is a great thing because, you know, when I was coming up, there was, yeah, there was, there was none of this and there was no one to really talk to or to get information from. So I think the fact that we're living in an age that's like, technology-based and people are out there talking about it is, is absolutely a great thing. Building off of that, um, I remember you talked, a, you guys talked about um, different methods of contraception, contraceptives. Mm -hmm. um, one that was really interested, interesting to me was, was it the basal body temperature? Is that what you call it? Mm -hmm. Could you talk mm -hmm. a little bit more about that? I feel as if that, because... I don't know. I have a Nexplanon in my arm right now. Okay. And uh -huh. this this is coming out next year. And I don't think I want to do any more hormonal stuff. So I was just like looking at different options that does not involve like hormonal changes. Mm -hmm. Right. So basic basal body temperature or like using your body rhythm to um, see when your fertile periods are. It's basically so... You're taking your temperature at, in early in the morning, like whenever you wake up. So whatever your body decides to get up, you're sticking a thermometer in your mouth. You're seeing what your temperature is, and then you're recording it for the day. And so it takes a couple of months to find your rhythm. And so what you'll find are patterns where your temperature will be at a certain level for a number of uh, weeks, and then you'll find a spike in your temperature. So your temperature will go up. And when that temperature goes up, that's usually when you ovulate. So ovulation is usually when your um, ovaries release an egg. So, you know, going down your tube and if it gets, um, if you have sex and it gets, uh, you guys get together and you can create a baby. So, but if it doesn't get inseminated, then, you know, you have your period. So what women do and what a lot of, I should say, couples do, they will track that over time to, to show if they're trying to get pregnant, they will use it to find when they're ovulating so that they know the optimal time to have sex to have a baby. Other women like myself, we will use it to uh, avoid sex around that time so that we don't become pregnant. 
So that's the simplest method in terms of the basal body temperature. Um, you can add things like looking at your cervical mucus, music, music, oh my gosh, cervical mucus, which is looking and seeing what your mucus looks like. Like when you wipe, is it stretchy? Is it thick? Is it thin? You know, and then there are women who will go further and they'll look, they'll insert fingers to, to figure out like where the positioning of their cervix. So is your cervix low? Is it high? Um, where is it sitting? So using all of that information is how women um, keep track of their bodies and their ovulation and their menstrual um, periods and um, cycles. First of all, what does that, what does your cervical position mean? How does that happen scientifically? <laughs> yeah, so at different points, so during your menstrual cycle at different points, your cervix will either be higher or lower um, depending on where you are in your menstrual cycle. So it's, for me, I could never, that's the one I could never get because I'm like, I don't know, it all feels the same. Does it, is it soft? Is it hard? Like, I, I'm like, I don't know, it all, it all feels the same to me. So you're supposed to insert your fingers, you find, figure out if it's higher, um, when it's higher, obviously it's not, you're not ovulating during that period of time or it's not your optimal time to um, have sex, to have a baby. Um, so when it drops, it means it's closer, so the sperm can get in, implant or get inside and then you're able to get it to connect with your egg and then eventually you'll get a baby is what the theory is but it also you're also supposed to feel it to see if it's soft or hard but when I did it I was like I don't know what I'm feeling for it all feels the same to me but there are people who are like well versed in that and that's all they use in terms of their birth control so it, it is a commitment you just have you have to be dedicated to doing it but like the simplest um form of it is just using your 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 temperature like looking at your temperature to see when you are fertile versus when you're infertile it, it but i would think i'm sorry oh. but it made me it eased my heart a little bit when you said you it just like felt all the same because i was like how what, what does a cervix feel like like <laughs> yeah it I, I can, I don't know. Maybe I, I need a tutorial from like my doctor, but I'm like, I don't, it's supposed to be like, at some point it, they said it's supposed to feel like a, I feel like it was like a dog's nose or something. I'm like, well, I, I don't have a dog, so I don't know what that would feel like, you know? And then it's, so I didn't, I didn't get that part. So I just, for me, it was easier to just keep things absolutely simple because I didn't want to overwhelm myself. So I'm like, well, I can track my temperature. That's something that's actually objective, but I can see what my temperature looks like. So I can see, you know, oh, okay, like my see my temperature went up now. So I'm I'm either I've I've ovulated or I'm about to ovulate. So let let me not have sex because I don't want any more children. So I I always advocate keep it simple if you. Don't do more than that. If, if it's going to be complicated and, you know, give you angst, just don't do it. Um, off of that, are there any other forms of contraceptive that, that are non-hormonal that you could recommend? Yeah. So there's also the IUD. There's a copper IUD. So that's non-hormonal. Um, copper IUD is good for 12 years, um, but you can take it out, you know, before that if you want to have children or you're just done with it. So the copper IUD is another one. Of course, there are condoms, um, and then they have the spermicides is another option. There's a new one on the market. Um, it's called Thexy, which is supposed to be um, 
You're supposed to use it like at the time of sex. So it's supposed to be something that you insert into your vagina. I feel like it's kind of like a spermicide that you can use um, at the, when you're ready to have, like when you're at the point of having sex um, to prevent uh, pregnancy. So condoms, um, the female condom as well, that's the internal condom that you would insert. Male condoms, female condoms, the copper IUD, um, spermicides. They also have diaphragms, but I don't know a lot of doctors who, diaphragms in the caps, but I don't know a lot of doctors who do those now or recommend them. Um, so there, most doctors you'll find are going to do the, I recommend, especially like you, for younger people, the IUDs, um, copper, copper IUDs and, um, condoms, of course, cause you know, they're always big on condoms and preventing sexually transmitted infections on top of pregnancy. That's interesting. I did some reading about the copper IUD and apparently it makes your menstrual cycle mm -hmm. very heavy. It can. So that's one of the side effects. So with the copper IUD, you can have more cramps and a heavier period, um, especially in the first like six months. That's that's a possibility. But over time, it's it's supposed to lighten up. All right. I did not know that part of it. I just saw I just saw like yeah. heavy bleeding cramps. <laughs> I was like, all right, next. What's next? And then like it's yeah. And it's not fair. Like it's so they you know, with any birth control there they, they they do studies and they take everybody and they're like okay what happens to all these people when they use these things so there are girls who'll get it or you know patients who I've had who've had it and their periods are heavier and cramps are worse for the first six months and then it lightens up over time so um it's a whether or not you can stick it out for the first like six months to see if if your period will get better over time um, for those who are interested in learning more, what recommendations do you have for people that inspire you like in that community? Yeah, so, so again, it's like I love living in this um, social media era because there are so many wonderful people doing great things. Um, the Period Doctor, she's on IG, that's her name, The Period Doctor, Doctor, uh, I think she pronounces it. Karis, Karis Chambers. So she's actually a teen doc and she specializes in GYN for teens. So she's awesome. Um, we Are a Happy Period is another group that I follow. Um, they do a lot. It's um, on menstrual poverty and pre um, preventing menstrual poverty, like giving out cups and pads and tampons to women who really need them because that's actually one of the things that are overlooked. Like if you're already homeless or transient um, and you have to worry about your period on top of that and getting products for that. So I love what she's doing, Chelsea, what she's doing with that movement. Um, for sex and sexual health in general, I think Dr. Nadine Thornhill is wonderful. She's um, a sex educator. She's a PhD sex educator and she does a lot. She provides a lot of good information, especially for like young uh, parents with like young kids and how to talk to your kids about sex and sexuality. Um, and then, um, Older population, Ask Goody, that's her name on Instagram. Um, she does a lot around just like sexual health and she gives it to you straight plain and it's very factual and it's, she does an awesome job. Especially after 2020 and everything that has happened in this year, what are you hoping or rather how has your mindset changed for the future? I think uh, what this has taught me, if nothing else, is to be flexible. <laughs> um, it's just, this year has just been so unpredictable. Uh, um, and it's 
kind of like with my type of your personality, it's kind of helped made force me to kind of just sit back and just go with the flow in a sense, like whatever opportunities present themselves, go with it. It has also ta taught me to kind of stretch myself. Um, I've been able to collaborate and partner with, with a lot of great people doing a lot of great things in this period and sexual health um, realm. So that has been absolutely wonderful. And I think that um, with next year and the years to come, I think it's just gonna, we're just gonna continue to grow. Um, we're gonna be able to talk, it's hopefully gonna become more normalized, especially for black women. Like I think more black women and there's more black females and the sexual health educator roles and positions. And so we are, I think we're doing a great job in just trying to normalize these conversations for, for women of color. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the UNI podcast. This conversation was honestly amazing. I learned so much, but it also made me realize how much I don't know on the other hand too. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. I, I always love opportunities to talk to people about vaginas and sexual health. Um, I think what you guys are doing are, is absolutely amazing. I don't think I would have done that when I was in college. So kudos to you for you know starting this this platform and talking about um, amazing and different subjects. Thank you, thank you. That means the most. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the You and I podcast. If you love this episode as much as we did, rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Also, check out our show notes for all of our links, including our Cheers to Better You guide and workbook. New episodes drop every week on Monday. We can't wait to hang out with you again. We'll talk soon. Bye.